Welcome to the I Don't Give a Should Show, a podcast exploring all the ways that women should all over themselves. How many times do you find yourself acting out of obligation or doing what everyone else expects from you without stopping to consider why? Where do all those beliefs that are driving you come from? If you're tired of feeling resentful, overwhelmed, stuck, exhausted, or pissed off, you are in the right place. Shooting all over yourself is a real thing, but it doesn't have to be in the driver's seat. I'm your host, Jen Sherwood, and I spent way too many years trying to prove that I was good enough and worrying what other people thought while avoiding conflict at all costs. Today, I don't give a shit. Well, not as many anyway, and neither should you. I'm talking to women like you who figured out how to stop shooting and start living. You're listening to the I Don't Give a Should Show, episode number 16. Today, my guest is Sarah Liller. I'm so excited to have Sarah here. She is a fashion designer and personal stylist based in Marin County, California. Sarah learned to sew at the age of 13 and has always been passionate about her clothes. Her parents wanted her to be a doctor. After studying to get her master's in biochemistry, she decided to follow her passion and attend the prestigious Parsons Design School in New York. Sarah now has her own clothing line that she sells online. It's characterized by clean lines and sophisticated silhouettes, all while being incredibly comfortable. It sounds amazing. She also provides personal styling services both in the Bay Area and virtually all over the world to help men and women develop personal style and step into the highest level version of themselves. That sounds incredible. Sarah, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's not delay any more. I'm excited to hear this story. So can you tell us what it was like for you when you were living under the shoulds? Yeah, absolutely. Growing up, I was always really smart, always the brainy nose in the book type of kid. And my parents and all my teachers and everyone was like, you're so smart. You really should become a doctor. You're just so, so smart. And that's what you do if you want to have security and a good job and you're totally capable of it. And I had always been the kid that while I had my nose in the book was always drawing or, you know, I learned to sew and I was making my own clothes and I would spend hours and hours in my high school bedroom, just putting outfits together, which is not normal. I find out now, (laughs) but (laughs) at the time, this was like what I wanted to do, but no one ever told me that I could make a living doing that, or it could be a career. I had no positive role models that were artists that were making a living. And so I was like, well, what I should do is have this secure career. And then I can always do this stuff on the side on my own. And so I went to school and I studied chemistry. And the funny thing is I was actually really, really good at it. And I was going to become a doctor. And I started interning at this hospital in Orange County, where I was living at the time. And I just was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I don't know if I can really care for people in this way. And so my teacher at the time was my advisor was like, well, if you're not going to become a doctor, you know what you should do. You should go to graduate school. And so I applied to PhD programs in biochemistry and I got into most of them. And I ended up going into the University of Arizona in Tucson and doing their biochemistry PhD program. And I was working on something crazy like nuclear resonance spectroscopy of DNA binding proteins and bacteria or something just totally not 
interesting at all to most people. <laughs> the crazy part about it is like everyone kept telling me how good I was at it. And mm-hmm. I was like, kept feeling like, am I good at this? Because it doesn't feel like I'm that committed to it. Oh, um, okay. But it was like, oh, you're so smart. You're so good at this. You're going to go far. Like the weight of expectations, the weight of other people's expectations. And in the meantime, I still had this love for clothes. One of my best friends who I worked with in lab with me, I've known her for over, you know, 15 years. She was like, I knew something was off when you would come to lab in red high heels. (laughs) That's not typical, right? (laughs) No, it's not typical. No, it is not typical. And there was this one night in particular, I had to do this one experiment and it was like a 36 hour experiment. And at one point I had to finish it in lab. I had to be there in like two in the morning, three in the morning. And so I did it and I took the measurements at the end and it hadn't worked. And I was really bummed. And I remember just going home and sitting on my couch and just crying and being like, this is not the life I want for myself. Mm it just like hit me like a ton of bricks that I had this personal potential, not this potential that other people saw in me, but like a personal potential that I wasn't tapping into. And I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but I knew that where I was at that moment was wrong. And so I knew that I had to get out of that pain. So I decided, okay, I have to figure out what I'm going to do instead of this. And so I kept going through the program and going to work and and doing all those things. But I just had in the back of my mind, like, what am I going to do next? And of course, the shoulds in me is like, well, if you're not going to be a doctor, then you or a a PhD, then you should become a lawyer because that's also a really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not about what do you enjoy? I was exactly when people when you were young, they were like, well, you should be a doctor. No one said to you. Do you enjoy taking care of other people? Yeah. Do you like science? Like, <laughs> yeah. no, you're smart. So you should be a doctor. So it, it actually makes me laugh that you said that. Well, if I'm not going to be a doctor, then I should be a lawyer because that's the second job for smart people. Exactly. Only, yes. only two jobs for yeah. smart people. That's all you get. Yeah. Those two careers. <laughs> yes. And that's it. Those are your choices. And luckily, I was smart enough at the time to be like, okay, well, if this is what I want to do. I want to see what it's like. So I shadowed a patent lawyer for a day and it was like the worst experience. Like, first of all, it was like all men and all they talked about was golf and they had these big stacks of books. And he was telling me how to become partner. You have to work these like 60, 80 hour weeks. And I was like, not for me. Yeah. Not for me. I was just felt so lost. I, ha- I went through this period of a few months where I just felt really, really lost and not knowing what to do. And I had a really good friend who'd known me a long time sit me down and be like, what do you actually want to do? Mm. He was like, you don't have a mortgage. You don't have a family. Like This is your chance to do whatever the hell you want. And yeah. so I really sat down and thought about it. I'm like, what do I love? And the thing I always came back to is clothes. Like I've always loved shopping. I've always loved making clothes. It's just, there's something about color and fabric and design that is so inherent in who I am as a person. It's like in my soul. Yeah. It's such a soul centered thing that I've always been good at, but I never thought was special. And so I was like, well, that's an interesting idea. And luckily at that time, I had a friend who had lived in New York and had had a roommate that had gone to Parsons. And so I knew somebody who knew somebody who was working in fashion and actually making a living doing it. And I think that was the thing that opened my mind to be, 
well, maybe this is a possibility. Yeah. And I started researching it and it was probably the scariest decision I've ever made, even to just apply. Yeah, I bet. Well, I was just thinking as you were saying that, and I hope this doesn't come out sounding offensive, but I think you'll see where I'm going. Going back to kind of like the way we're programmed in this society. So if you're thinking fashion, that's not typically what you think of when you think of smart people. So this should on you, that's, that's more creative. It's more, and I can see where you would have been afraid. Maybe people were going to dismiss you for this idea because for all those stereotypical reasons that we can come up with. And yet what I loved about this was you just said the design, color, clothing, it's my superpower, but you, you didn't even know it. And I love that because the longer I do these interviews and the more people I talk to, the more I realize we don't know our superpowers because it's so innate in us. We don't realize that other people don't have a natural propensity towards this. So for you to suddenly take this question, like really take your friend's question of what do you want to do, then actually run with it. I love this story so much because I imagine you were terrified. You're already sort of turning your back, not sort of, you're You're turning your back on where you thought you were going. And then it's this whole, where do I go now? And I'm thinking about fashion as a career. This is such a 180 from where you are and took such courage. What do you think it was that gave you the courage to make that big shift? I think for me, so I lost my mother fairly early, like right before I turned 18. I think it, when I got to Arizona, I finally was mourning her and I had like gotten through this point of like getting to where I was no longer using the school and the achievement as a point of coping with that. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think having moved past that and realizing that, Oh my God, she passed away in her fifties. Like life is so short. Yeah. I only have this one chance and I don't want to regret anything because I know that she had regrets and, and, you know, most people do when they pass. So I was like, you know, science will always be there. Yes. I could always go back to this. No decision is permanent. And if I don't do this now, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that was far more scary for me than like the fear of going into the unknown. Wow. What a way to take a situation that was so difficult and so painful, and then eventually be able to look at it as a catalyst of Mm -hmm. moving on. You you wanted a different experience for yourself. And so I just want to recognize that, that that was such an incredible way that you took this, what I would imagine was a devastating experience, losing your mom so young, and then using it to propel yourself forward. It's, It's brilliant. Okay. So you get up the nerve, you apply to Parsons. Yeah. I applied to Parsons. I had to like put a project together to get in. And it was the funnest thing I'd done oh, in a long time. Just I just, oh, you go from the experiment where you're like two in the morning and <laughs> didn't work. And, and to, I got to put a project together. I mean, for anybody yeah. who's watching, that is such a visceral, visible difference. I hope you take this as a takeaway that when you do the thing you love, that's what it feels like. Yeah, it was so fun. And I sent it in and I just was so proud of it. But I was like, you know what, if it doesn't happen, if I don't get in, I'll figure out a way. And I was looking into like local community colleges and all that stuff. And I remember the day I got the letter in the mail saying that I got in, I like fell to my knees and just started bawling because I was like, I don't know, for me, when I when something is like a gut, yes, like a gut, gut, yes, 
I get emotional. And to me, that's like my soul's response to like, this is it. You got it. And so, oh my gosh, yeah, your soul that went to undergrad, then was doing this this PhD program in this thing that you were really good at, but you didn't love. And suddenly it just all opens up into this thing you really love. Of course, your soul was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) I know, I know. And so I did this and then I had to make a decision. And for me, it was just like a heck yes. Like I have to do this. But to tell my advisor and to tell my friends and the people I knew, like my close friends were very supportive. Yeah. Like people kind of on the more periphery or especially people who were mentors were like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. I'm sure they couldn't understand because their passion was somewhere else. Exactly. And well, and then they have their own conditioning. So they're just like, they told me all the things. Oh, that's such a competitive field. Oh, you know, it's so hard to make money doing that. And luckily I was just like, I can't listen to this. Yeah. 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 Otherwise you would have just not followed your dreams. Isn't it funny? I mean, I think people have such good intentions when they say stuff like that to you, but really you knew where you were going. It was a matter of, I just need to inform you of this and move on. Yeah, I know where I'm going. Yeah. I'm like, this is not asking you for permission. Like I've already given myself permission to do this. I'm curious. Sorry, I totally cut you off, but I just had this thought. So, so many of the women I work with and who are attracted to my work tend to be people pleasers and Mm -hmm. have a hard time speaking up. And and this is where a lot of the shoulds come from. So I wonder if at any point in this process, was there for you, I mean, I realized it was hard to tell these advisors and professors and people who you look up to, was there fear for you of what people were going to think of you and how people were going to judge you? Oh yeah. Like I'm a quitter. That was a Mm. big one. Like, Oh, she's a quitter. Oh, she's frivolous. She's doing something frivolous. Cause you know, I was in biomedical research, you know, I'm helping people, but, and, you know, I think there is like, you were talking about before this idea that that's not what smart people do Mm -hmm. or like, I'm wasting my intelligence. Yes. Yes. Or your education or, you know, fill in all the blanks that could be possible. And yet now on the other side of all this should, you're like glowing as you talk about what, what you do. And so you made this choice, you moved on. I can't imagine. I mean, I, I don't think the shoulds ever completely stop for anybody. I think it's how we re- respond to them. But so I'm wondering as you start then following your actual passion, how do things change for you? How is life different for you? When I went to New York, that was like the most expansive and also scary period of my life. Mm -hmm. Like for the first time in my life, I was actually allowed to call myself an artist. Wow. And that was really, really big for me. And it even took me years and years after that to kind of get to that point where I could really be like, I'm an artist. Yeah. But it was just, I can't look back. Like, it's so funny because the idea of me in a lab at this point in my life is like so sad and depressing <laughs> because what, what is my day is filled with color and fittings and going to people's homes and cleaning out their closets and, and showing them what looks good on them. And I'm helping people through that. The original intent like was to help people. And now I'm doing it through this other vehicle that comes so much more naturally to me. And that just lights me the heck up. Like I just freaking love what I do. I love the fashion industry. I just think it's so, so fun. I was just thinking as you were saying that, you just seem so joy filled. 
So Mm -hmm. before you made the change, was there, um, I don't want to say was there joy because I'm sure there was in, I don't think you were like the most miserable person in the world. I should let you answer that question, but like, what was it like then versus now? Yes. This is a great question. Thank you. So the joy then always came from pleasing other people and getting praise. Oh, okay. So it was like either I got an A or I had a professor tell me I did a good job or something along those lines. It never felt intrinsic. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody, I still have that conditioning where, you know, I like to be told I'm doing a good job or I get validation, but it comes from such a different place now my happiness and my joy and my satisfaction that it's, I can't compare the two. It's like, that was such a fake or like very outside centered joy. Whereas this comes from inside. Oh, I love that so much. So the external validation gave you sort of the gold star. And -hmm. then that's what you were seeking, which we we all are worth. I don't know where that lies for most people, but it's so common to want that external validation. And now what it sounds like to me is you know what you want and the joy is coming from within. So if someone pays you a compliment now, that's nice. Mm -hmm. It sort of adds to that, but you don't need it. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. So life looks very, very different now for Sarah while you follow your passion than it did back when you were doing what you were more than capable of doing, but not happy doing. Yeah. And it's not to say that there aren't like tough days. I mean, it is a tough industry and there's a lot of competition and, you know, you really have to hustle sometimes, but it's like, overall, I'm so happy with my choices. And isn't that what we really want from, from everything that it, I think it took an incredible amount of courage for you to make that change. And I just love the message of it all, just how much more joyful your life is. And And I hope people listening actually really take that in, that you were on this pathway that was very socially acceptable and encouraged, and you just took the turn and you're here to tell the tale and here to talk about how much you love what you're doing. So can you share more about what you're doing and who and how you work? I'd like to refer to myself as a multi-passionate fashion professional. Love it. Okay. So I have a clothing line. Everything is produced in San Francisco. I've been doing it for about 10 years. Um, I sell to boutiques across the US and also online on my website. And what I love about my clothing line is I get to make women feel beautiful. And everything is comfortable. The dresses have pockets. It's very designed for women by a woman. So it's also practical. It's good for packing. And I always imagine it. My muse is the woman who wants to fly off to Paris, have something comfortable to wear on the plane but get off and not look like an American. (laughs) (laughs) I love that description. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there's like sophistication, but also an ease to it, which I just absolutely adore. So that's one half of me. And then the other half is I do personal styling. And this is something I'm really, really passionate about because what I love about style is that it's so unique to each person. And it's your way of telling people how you want to be treated. And I just find so much power in that. It's really taking your power back and showing up for yourself and for your job and for your family and for whoever the way you want. And it's like a very external way to do that. And it's so easy once you get the right tools and help Mm -hmm. to show up in that way on a consistent basis. Yeah. Can you say more about that? That clothes tell 
how you want to be treated. What do you mean when you say that? Because I think there's a lot of power in there. Yeah. So one pushback I get sometimes is like, oh, well, you shouldn't be judged by the way you look. But we live in a society where it only takes seven seconds for someone to make a first impression of you. Mm -hmm. And that's just human nature. And so instead of being a victim to that, I like women or men to take their power back and say like, okay, well, if this is the case, if this is the game, then I'm going to play the game and I'm going to show up in a way that feels X, Y, and Z. So when I work with clients, the first thing we ta- I talk about is like, how do you want to feel? How do you want people to treat you? Yeah. What words do you want to use to describe yourself? And you get things like authoritative or colorful or approachable or feminine. And so I have them choose their top five. And that's what we use to kind of guide all of our work together. So for me, clothes have always been something that evokes a feeling and energy. and you can really, really own that with style, own the energy that you want to put out in the world. And other people feed off of that. So yeah. if you show up, for example, in something that you've had for 30 years and you, you don't feel good in and it's all black and saggy, you know, people are going to react to you. So you're telling people that you don't value yourself in a way. Yeah. yeah. How do you I... expect them to value you if you don't value yourself? Right. I love that. Yeah, I love that. The flip side is if you get help or if you go on YouTube and learn some things about your body type and your coloring and you show up in like a bright blouse and do your hair and put on some lipstick and you, it changes how people see you, but also how you see yourself. And so it's a, it's a loop. That whole dynamic. Yeah. It's dynamic. I'm so glad you described it in the way that you did, because it's clearly such a different experience from walking into a store and picking up something and trying it on and thinking, "Eh." I mean, I love that what you say to someone is, how do you want to feel? Mm -hmm. It changes everything there. And and of course, I'm, I'm sure that you're not saying if there's somebody who has very strong feelings about, they don't want to give in to sort of the conventional patriarchal, yeah. you need to show up a certain way. That's fine. Show up however you want to show up. Because if you're owning who you are, then yeah. that also projects something. But I totally hear what you're saying. Like, just think about how you want to feel and then how do you show up? And, and that whole cyclical dynamic between you and the other person, I think that is so important. And I, again, I can't emphasize enough that you're going in and working with the person on who they want to be in this world. It's not just covering up. It's actually bringing the person out as I hear you saying this. Exactly. Yeah. I think fashion gets a bad rap because there is a lot of like shallowness to it. But at the same time, it's such an amazing tool that you can use to like really express yourself. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting. I had done an, an episode with a woman who was a a makeup artist and same thing that the same idea, like it can be looked at as shallow. And yet if you're helping someone enhance themselves and feel better, it's going to change the way they show up. And so it's this beautiful, I don't even know if symbiotic is the right word for that, but this whole, like one thing feeds another and how we show up. And then you can change how you're thinking about yourself. And it's just beautiful. I love, love, love your approach to this, Sarah. I really do. So I can imagine there are people out there like, okay, Jen, how do I get a hold of Sarah? Like, I want what she's having, sort of a thing. So, can you share who you work with and how people can follow you or reach you? Give us some ways to get in touch with you. 
So I work with men and women who are just ready to level up. They're just tired of not showing up the way the way they want to in the world. A lot of them have gone through changes like having a baby or getting a new job or a divorce or whatever life throws at you. Those are always good opportunities to check in and make a change. But I think sometimes you're just like me and you sit on your couch and start crying and realize <laughs> that you need a change. <laughs> so whatever that is, you know, that's who I work with. And I work in the Bay Area in person or also virtually around the world. My website is stylingwithsarah.com. You can also see my clothing line. That's just my name, sarahliller.com. And I'm on Instagram as well. Again, at Sarah Liller is my clothing line. And then at Sarah Liller Styling is my Instagram handle for the styling business. Excellent. Sarah with an H, correct? Sarah with an H, yes. Okay. We will put all the information in when this is posted as well. Sarah, I can't thank you enough for being here. This has just been such a joy and a pleasure to have this conversation with you. And I have no doubt that people are walking away with some inspiration and maybe some ideas about who, you know, maybe re-looking at how they're showing up in the world and what that could do for them. So thank you for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. And thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. (laughs) My pleasure. It was fun. Hey friend, if you recognize yourself in these stories and you don't want to give a should anymore, you have to join my coaching community, the GC. Come learn the tools to recognize when fear and worry are running the show and how to shift into more of what you want without guilt or blowing up your life. Unless, of course, that's what you want. Inside the GC, you'll learn strategies to start making yourself a priority. Stop saying yes when you mean no. Have hard conversations and so much more. And you get to do this with a group of women who are making the same changes in their lives and are there to support you, not judge you. It's a seriously warm, safe space where genuine connections are made. The GC is where doubt and loneliness meet their match. You can get all the info at jennifersherwood.com slash the GC. But if you're not ready for something like that yet, I've got you. Head over to my website, jennifersherwood.com and hit the relief right now button. I'll send three ridiculously simple steps to go from overwhelm to ease.